Amen. Uh, we've been speaking about outreach. We've been speaking about um, getting out of the house and into the field. Two weeks ago, Brother McLeod spoke about the outreach, uh, citing the simple, the spiritual, and the supernatural. It was an incredible, incredible lesson. If you have not heard it, go online and listen to it. You, I think you're obligated. If you haven't heard it, you're obligated to listen to it. Last week, Pastor spoke about the responsibilities of the grafted, thankfulness, obedience, humility, and works, and that we have a responsibility to serve, to worship, to give, and to witness. This week, we're going to talk about outreach, but in a slightly different aspect of getting out of the house and into the field. We're going to talk about inreach and connection. And so tonight, I've titled what I'm, what I'm speaking, Connection, Outreach to Those That Are In. Outreach to those that are in the house with us. Outreach to those that know the truth of the gospel. Outreach to those that have obeyed the gospel, perhaps have left. Outreach to those that are in. We're going to begin covering some, some of the more practical points of connecting. Connection is so important. And um, touching one another, being, being in contact with one another, having a connection with one another is vital. It's vital to our walk with God. Um, we have a responsibility to one another. We have a command to reach the lost. There's no question. There's, there's no doubt that our objective, that our goal is to reach others that have not heard the gospel with the gospel message. That's outreach. However, we also have a responsibility to one another. This is accomplished through connection, through inreach, fellowship, caring, concern. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11 says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you also do. We have a command from the Lord that, to have connection. We have a command from the Lord to care about one another, to reach out to one another. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 6 says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in every measure, in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The New Living Translation says it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Amen. We have an obligation to reach to each other, to talk to each other, to have a connection with one another. Amen. It's a command from the Lord. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 is a familiar passage. We talk about it all the time. But we kind of almost always talk about it in the context of coming to this building. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's kind of always like we need to attend service, and that's true. There's no doubt about that. Amen. I don't see how people can live an overcoming life for the Lord without coming and sharing in the word and sharing in worship. And I think it's wonderful that we do that. But I think we may be too narrow-minded in our scope in that we think that assembling together is only in this building. But I believe the Lord would be pleased for us to assemble together at our homes, at the park, and have a barbecue, have some time of fellowship, have some time to get together and talk. The verse 
there's more to being a member of the church and the body of Christ. It's not just about New Life Fellowship. I think to be a part of the body of Christ, we need fellowship as well. We need to talk. We need to ask. We need to follow through. Help when we can. I remember growing up, it didn't matter what was going on. If somebody was moving, we were all helping them move. If somebody was building something, we were all helping them build something. We've gotten so busy. We've gotten so self-centered. Sorry, I don't mean to be a downer, but man, what's up with us? We ought to be helping each other out. I need to be there for you, and you need to be there for me. And we need to be there for each other, and you need to be there for each other. Amen. We can help. If we can, we should offer to. We should offer ourselves in all aspects of caring. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ. This is the Lord telling us to care for one another. We should help each other. We should carry each other's burdens. Amen. The, the, there's uh, so many parts to this and so many possibilities to this. But in our modern day, in this day and age, we have such a tendency to be isolated from one another. I, I think it's fascinating um, when the scripture speaks about the devil is going to and fro like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If you do study about lions, and I'm not going to go deep into this, but just lessons that I've heard over the years. The roaring lion is usually not the one that can hurt you. The roaring lion is the one to separate you off from the rest of the herd and scare you to where the young lions are waiting. This is how they, this is how they do it. The roaring lion comes. He's big. He's got a big mane. He's loud. He's scary. He scares the, the, the one from the herd over to where the young lions are there to do, actually do the damage. It's the same way in the body of Christ. If we allow ourselves to be separated from one another, if we allow ourselves to not have that connection, that gives the opportunity to the enemy to whisper in our ear about how what we did on Sunday wasn't real, about how what we thought we were a part of in that great service, that 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 was just emotion. And if we can stay together, if we can be connected, if we can share time with one another, I can say to you, I'm struggling because I feel like maybe uh, something that I'm going through or some part of what's going on in, in the service, that that wasn't enough or that wasn't right or that was last week and now today I'm dealing with real life and I need help. We ought to be able to, to rely on one another. We ought to be able to carry each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. It's kind of interesting. Um, I had a conversation with one of the brothers from our church a few weeks ago, we talked about how we do, you know. I'm walking by in the, aisle, in the hallway on the way out to the foyer, and you're on your way in, and I say, hey, how's it going? And you say, oh, it's going good. Whether it is or isn't, that's what you say. And I, how about you? And I say, oh, it's great. And I wave, and we go by. And it's really not what we mean. I really don't want you I'm going to be honest with you. When I'm walking down the hall and I'm on my way someplace and I say, hey, how's it going? I'm really not wanting you to tell me that your wife pounced the checkbook. That's not really 
the question that I'm, and you know that's not the question I'm asking, because you don't respond with, man, everything's horrible. You say, I'm doing good, how are you? And we both lie to each other on our way by. So I think maybe what we ought to try to do instead is say what we really mean. I'm sorry, pastor, I don't mean to steal your stuff, but I'm reminded of when he goes to meetings when he was an evangelist, and he said a pastor would walk by and say, hey, I should have you come preach for me. And he would knew that they weren't really meaning it. He would pull his calendar out and say, hey, I'm available in July. Oh, oh, well, oh, oh. And then, you know, our pastor is our pastor, which is awesome. And so, really, and so he says, I'm doing really good too. It's good to see you as well. Because that's really what they meant. And really, when we walk by and we say, hey, how's it going, Brother Mark? We really don't mean, you know, tell me that dinner got burnt last night. I don't want to know that. That's not really what I'm asking. I'm really wanting to say, and that's what we ought to say instead, it's good to see you. That's what we should say because that's what we mean, right? And I think we should say that in this house. And we ought to say that to each other at Walmart. And we ought to get together in each other's homes and have communion together, have, have fellowship together, have a meal together, and encourage one another. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're a part of the body of Christ in Terre Haute, Indiana. I'm glad I get to fellowship with you. You know, when I come up to take the offering, I don't know if anybody notices, and it doesn't really matter, but I almost always say, it's an honor to come and worship with you this morning. And the reason I say that is because I understand pastor's heart, that this building is supposed to be for us to get the lost, to learn about the Lord. It's not really for us. He says that all the time. And so I say, it's an honor to come and worship with you. It's an honor to come in fellowship with you. It's an honor to come and worship the Lord together. And so really what we should say is, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Because that's really what we mean. And then we should call them on the telephone when we actually have time to talk. And we genuinely do want to know how they're doing. And say, hey, how's it going? I was thinking about you. I was praying about you. I was praying for you. I was lifting you up in prayer, and I would like to know how things are going. Talk to me. Let's get together. Let's have a cup of coffee. Let's go out. Let's go to the park together. Amen. Let's our, let our, let's our families get together in fellowship, and let's bring that other family too so that I can get to know them because you know them already. We should be fellowshipping. We should be caring about one another. We should be carrying each other's burdens. It's what the Lord commands us to do. The early church used their homes. They used them for spiritual moments and for fellowship. And if it's possible, our homes are an important place to minister to one another. Acts chapter 5, verse 42 says, Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Day after day in the temple courts, And from house to house, they talked about the Lord. They encouraged each other in the Lord. They talked about the Messiah and how great he was. Amen. They didn't just do it on Sabbath day. They didn't just do it on the day they went to the temple. Their customs were a little different than ours. They went to the temple every day. We don't do that. That's not our custom. But we ought to be getting together. We ought to be communicating with one another. We ought to be fellowshipping with one another on a regular basis. Acts chapter 2 verse 46 says, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meal, meat with gladness and singleness of heart. That's the King James Version. The NIV says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together 
with glad and sincere hearts. We have got to figure out a way to reach out to one another. We've got to figure out a way to fellowship with one another. I need you in my life. I can't make it without you. And you need me in your life. You can't make it without me. We've got to have fellowship with one another. We've got to go house to house and break bread. We've got to figure out a way to resist the urge of this age to be alone, to be isolated, to be self-sufficient and self-serving, and give of ourselves one to another. When's the last time you invited somebody over? I think it's interesting. I find this fascinating. I've had a number of different people come to me and say, you haven't invited me over. And I say, you haven't invited me over. (laughs) If you aren't being invited over for fellowship, start doing the inviting. Well, you don't need to wait for an invitation. Make one up. You can do that. Just call somebody on the phone and say, saw you on the other side of the church on Sunday, and I'd like to get to know you better. Why don't you and your family come spend some time with us this Friday evening, this Saturday evening? Amen. I'm going to rat you out. I'm sorry. I love you, David. You're one of my best friends. Dave came up to me one Sunday morning and said, is your phone broken? And I said, no, why? And he said, it still makes outgoing calls? I said, yes, it does. I'm okay. You haven't called me. Just wondering. I said, well, let me ask you a question. (laughs) Is your phone broken? (laughs) Does it make outgoing calls? Amen. It's fun and it's good. But it's true. If you are sitting there wondering, flipping through someone else's devil Facebook page, wondering why you aren't at that engagement. Get one together of your own. Look for some people that aren't on these pictures and invite them to your home and fix a meal for them. And if you can't cook, Rick's caters. Figure something out. Get together. You can do this, and you should do this. We have an obligation to do this. We have a command from the Lord to do this. Amen. What kind of groups should we reach for? What kind of groups do you think we should reach out to? There's several groups, and really you don't even need groups, but I don't want you to leave people out. And so I want to tell you some, a few groups that I notice that you might reach out to if you feel that you can't reach out to somebody you already know. Reach out to a new family that's moved here from another city. They already know the truth. They already live for God. They may have been 5, 10, 15, 20 years with the same people in another congregation and got transferred here for work. I know a family that moved here because they wanted to get out of the area that they were in because the laws were not favorable to them teaching their children at home. And so they moved to Terre Haute-ish. And they go to New Life Fellowship, but they spent their lives at the church that they came from in New York. It was familiar. It was comfortable. They knew the names of the people. They were the one that knew who everyone was. And then they come to New Life Fellowship, and they don't know anyone. Go reach out to them. Go invite them out to dinner. They could use that because they're trying to assimilate. And, you know, I think sometimes I, I'm guilty of this. I try not to do it. But I think I'm guilty sometimes of doing that 
like the first month they're here and then forgetting about them for the next three years. So, I don't know. Put it on a calendar or or write yourself a list. I don't know. There's a way to do it. Reach out to others. New members that already have the truth. They're a part of the body of Christ. And they're a part of this body of Christ. They're a part of this congregation. And you can be an encouragement to them. You can help them assimilate to Terre Haute, to New Life Fellowship, to living in the Midwest, perhaps. It's a good thing to do, and it's a commandment from the Lord. Our ministry, our pastor and his wife, need fellowship. You, you think that because they come and do such an incredible job week after week after week after week, that they're immune, that they're self-sufficient, and that they don't need someone to come and, and mail them a card or write them a letter or send them an email and say, Pastor, I want to encourage you in the Lord today. God is good, and he's, a blessed, he's blessed you, and we're thrilled to have you as our pastor, but is there anything I can pray with you about? Have you ever? Have you ever asked, Pastor, how can, what can I help you pray for today? Amen. He has a family. He has four children. They can be encouraged. You can assume, perhaps, that everything's wonderful for them, that everything's perfect for them, because they don't walk around complaining, because they don't walk around moping and griping. Pastor and Tammy and, and their family, they're very positive, they're very outgoing, they're very energetic, enthusiastic, and they need someone to come and say, I love you, and I care about you, and without any strings attached, because they do covet their time at home, I'm sure. I'm having a barbecue on Saturday, and I'd like to invite you if you want to come. And they may say no, or they may say we'll see, or they may be there. But they need that too. Just because they're the pastor, just because Sister Tammy is incredible, doesn't mean that she doesn't need someone to come and say, how is it going with you? How is it with your family? Maybe instead of coming and saying, please pray for me, things aren't good, you could just forget about that, forget about yourself, and just go and say, God is good, and I love you, and I want to encourage you today. And I, and I hope everything is great for you. And it's good to see you. And I'm glad you're here. And whatever else and positive that you can think of to say. Because the body needs the body. The body doesn't survive. There's not a part of your body in your natural body that survives without the rest of your body being concerned and caring. It's the way it works. Our leadership in our church, there's a a diverse number of people in leadership, every different level. I was thinking about the people that are on this platform every Sunday morning. I don't mean to sound critical. If I do, I apologize. That's not my point. I'm not trying to, to sound like I'm, I'm upset with anyone or I'm angry with you because that's not the case. But it is true that we get to walk into this building at 9.55, at 9.59, at 10.04, or whatever the case may be for you. And there are people that have given hours of their life standing up here, making a way for you to just come and enjoy the presence of the Lord. For you to come and get to feel that wash over you. Man, it's incredible. This is a church like no other church. I'm sorry if you're watching and this isn't your church. We love you and that's good. But this is a church like no other church I've ever seen. It's incredible. 
We have incredibly talented musicians, but, and part of it is skill, yeah, I'm sure, and a big part of it is that they dedicate their time and their energy to know the words, to know which notes to play, so that you can get in contact with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They need your support. I'll, I'll talk a little bit, I'll try not to get too much in trouble, but I'll talk a little bit about my son. Uh, because I can. And he gets to be up here. Several of you come to me and I appreciate that. It's very nice. And of course, it's my kid. So I want him to do good. I'm glad I think he does good mostly. And and um, I'm glad that you think that he does good. I'm, that makes me happy. So I love it when you come say to me, man, I love it when Todd worships up there. It's so encouraging. And And that's good. And that's right. But do you know what the kind of thing that I know for a fact he struggles with? I know for a fact he struggles with, I, this is his, almost his words verbatim, I know what to do. I know how to do it. I know when to throw up my hand. I know when to take a step forward. He doesn't get this detailed, that's me, he would never get this detailed. But, he has to make sure that he keeps his walk with God fresh, so that he's not just up here going through the motions then you get to benefit for it. And God is gracious because it's not about Todd. It's about God. Right? And you worship and you bring that. And then that encourages the Lord and, and his presence like we did when we started this evening. And so it's not just one person. It's not just him. But I'm telling you, he has to make sure that he doesn't just rely on his talent, on his ability to know. I heard Harold Hoffman was preaching uh, one day and he said, if you're a plumber, you know how to plumb a pipe, and you can just walk in and kind of do it. Well, I'd have to study, and I'd have to look and figure it all out. You can plumb a pipe, and you can see when it's not right, and you know how to make it right. And you're a, a, a mechanic. You know how to fix a car. And he said, well, I'm a preacher. I know how to do this. I, I, do, I know how to read people. I know how to, how to figure out what's going on. I, I'm, I can do this without the Spirit of the Lord. It's an interesting concept, and I'm not saying he does that. I don't think that's the case. But it's an interesting concept that King Saul took the Ark of the Covenant into battle and lost it. And for the duration of his reign and a portion of David's reign, the Ark of the Covenant was not in the Holy of Holies. But every year they went in and sprinkled blood where the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be. They had church without God. So if you think that these people that are up here don't know how to make church happen without God actually being a part of it, you're wrong. And they need your support. I'm not saying they do that. I don't think that's the case. I think for the most part, they're incredible people. But they need encouragement. They need you to not assume that everything's great with them and come and say, hey, I appreciate you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're a part of our church. Amen. They need your support. There are Sunday school teachers, there are uh, ministry leaders that don't really get to be in this building, in this part of the building on Sunday morning. Sometimes it concerns me. I'm like, man, they need to try and figure out a way to rotate, and I think they've worked on that. But, you know, the people that, uh, the brother and sister Walls that run the, it feels weird calling them that, because I feel like that's, the, I don't know where they're at, but I feel like that's Isaac's dad. 
I feel like if you say Brother Hudiger, I'm looking for my dad. I'm trying to figure out where he's at. So when I say Brother Walls, anyway, Isaac and Katie, they run the, the children's ministry on Sunday morning. They don't get to be inside this house. And I know God probably provides for them and, and, and makes a way for them. But how great would it be for them for you to say, hey, why don't we get together and talk about the Lord? Why don't we get together in fellowship and, and I'll spend some time sharing with you out of my life so that I can help you because of the sacrifice that you make every Sunday while I get to enjoy the service. Amen. Our leaders need us. They need us to support them. They need us to encourage them. They need fellowship. They need connection. They need caring and concern. They need you to ask, how is it going with that new job or that new business venture? They need you to talk to them about those things. It's important. Well, that doesn't seem very spiritual, Brother Jeff. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but it is. It's the will of God. It's the will of God for you to minister to them as part of the body, just like you get to be ministered to when you come into this room. All of our leaders in our ministry, I guarantee you they covet connection and fellowship. I think... um, New babies need more attention. I was running sound a few weeks ago, and everyone's sitting. It's kind of a time like this. And I saw, I believe, the mother with the newest baby did the thing. You can watch it. It happens every time. Stand up, grab the bag, turn and get the kid from whoever has it, and walk out. Because babies need attention. Babies need someone to care for them, and they need more attention than others. Can you imagine a mother having a new baby and then not caring for it and just ignoring it, not making sure it's fed, not making sure it's clean, not making sure that it's cared for? Of course not. New babies need attention. I, um, several years ago, Robin had a job. Many of you probably know the story. Robin had a job, and she was working at this place that she couldn't stand. And I kept saying, you should quit. And she kept saying, but I'm talking to them about the Lord, and I don't want to quit yet. And she'd come home and cry about how much she hated it. And uh, if you know Robin, she should never be a debt collector. It's not, not real good for her. She would say things like, people would say, Uh, I can't pay this week. Well, can she would say, "Well, can you call me back next week?" (laughs) They'd be like, "Well, my mother did this, and my rent is due, and my car broke down." Okay, okay. Well, just call back next week then. (laughs) And she'd get off the phone and get in trouble. She'd come home crying regularly, but wouldn't quit because she was reaching the lost. She was reaching for the lost, and got to talking to Debbie which is Amanda's sister, and Debbie came to watch Robin paint uh, on Easter one Sunday. And then Amanda came. Debbie said, you got to go. And Amanda said, okay, fine, whatever. Leave me alone. I'll come. And that's pretty almost verbatim. Um, Kind of interesting. The next week, Amanda woke up. 7 o'clock in the morning or something, Dave was out of town with with work, and Amanda woke up, and she said the Lord was prompting her, you need to go to church, and she said, no, I'm not going, I'm not going back, and 
they continued to have an argument for a bit, and then she finally said, fine, whatever, I'll go. So Dave and Amanda and Terry and Debbie are all brand new, and they want to know. They're brand new babies. They're not even babies yet because they haven't been born again yet, and they want to know what's going on. And so they come to my house, and they sit down at our table. This is outreach, okay? This is all outreach. I'm not to the in-reach part yet. This is still all outreach. So we're teaching Bible studies, and we're talking about unborn babies and dinosaurs and all the different stuff that gets asked, hair and skirts and all the things. And I'm answering all the questions. It's kind of funny. I don't remember how, but somehow, Scott, I gave you a call and said, I don't know what to do. I'm trying to teach them about the gospel. And they keep asking me all these questions that have nothing to do with the gospel. And I keep trying to get it to go back to the gospel, and I can't seem to do it. And you said, well, you can either just put your foot down and say, this is what we're going to do. Or you can answer all their questions, and eventually they'll run out of questions. And then you can tell them the gospel. And I couldn't ever, if you've ever talked to Amanda, you know that I was up against a very formidable foe. I could not ever, I could not ever get the topic to go the direction I wanted it to go, and I was just left with answering all the questions. And somebody at the table finally helped me out unbeknownst to them and said, I've already been baptized. Do I need to be baptized again? And I said, yes, Acts chapter 19. They were baptized into John's baptism. It was a baptism of repentance. They had to be baptized again in Jesus' name. But we've gotten ahead of ourselves. We need to back up. Do you mind? Am I okay telling the story? Till which uh, Amanda and Debbie said, well, we got to go smoke. Okay. That was 6.30 to 9 p.m. Then they went and got a smoke, and then they came back in. And then I finally got to say, this is the Old Testament, and this is what it does. And these are the Gospels, and this is the book of Acts, and these are the rest of the books that were written to the church. And I got to explain the Gospel to them. And they were hungry, and they were loving it, and they were wanting more. And they were making comments like, I want to look like Sister Tammy. I want to look, Amanda was, not Dave. I want to look like Sister Tammy. Amanda said, I want to look like your wife. I want to look like Robin. And, you know, I'm like, okay, that's between you and the Lord. And, and when he's calling you and leading you that way, follow him. Do it. And we're baptizing them, and they're getting the Holy Ghost. And they're bickering about who gets the Holy Ghost first and upset that I didn't get it before you got it and all the different stuff. And now they're babies. Now they're babies. And they're coming, and they're sitting right here where we sit all the time. And church is over, and I mean nothing of bad to my church family, not at all, not in any way, shape, or form. It's just human nature, and it's the way we are, and it's the way it is. But they're standing here, and they're talking amongst themselves. And as is our custom, people will walk by and say, hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Good. And then they'll walk on. It's what we do. And we realized there was a need for these babies in Christ to get to fellowship with their brothers and sisters in Christ outside of this building. I don't know what it is about Sunday morning that when church is over, you got to beat feet to get out of here, but whatever, it's okay. You got to get to the dinner before the other people or whatever. I don't know. It never made sense to me, but uh, I was hungry. We were trying to figure something out. It was crazy. We had this tiny little house. It was very ugly and very embarrassing. We had a very small backyard that would fit about in one section of these chairs right here. And so we started inviting people over to meet and fellowship with these babies in Christ that were just new and 
didn't really know anything yet. Because I needed the body to help the body mature and grow and develop. And so we just started inviting people. We could only invite a few people at a time because, as I said, it wasn't a whole lot of space. I have a tendency to over-invite. So we always had more people than we had room for. But we would cook and grill and have a good time and talk. And I started a thing called Saturdays in July. Uh, celebrate Independence Day, celebrate my wife's birthday, celebrate our anniversary. We're going to celebrate every Saturday in July, and we'll just invite different people every Saturday, and they'll get to meet our new converts and get to know them and get to talk to them and develop relationships and fellowship. So that's what we did. We've moved. We have a slightly larger home and a slightly larger yard, but still not huge. It's, it's, um, it, it's not exciting. We don't have a show home. I don't have bounce houses and water park toys and ATVs and all kinds of stuff, but we just invite people and say, come over and fellowship with us and hang out and we'll cook and we'll play some music and, and we'll try to get to know each other better outside of the building and fellowship with one another. It's practical. Uh, to date, I don't know that one person has gotten the Holy Ghost at my house during one of these meetings. We talk about the Lord. It's not off limits. But it's not the primary objective. The primary objective is just a fellowship with other people that want to serve the Lord together. Amen. And you're invited next time. You probably better find out. Don't just show up. You might be disappointed. Prayer meeting is a must. We've got to have prayer. Attendance here in the in this house, it's 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 vital. It's not an option. But fellowship is such a crucial part of our walk with God. And we have got to devote ourselves and commit ourselves to spending time with one another, to encouraging one another, to fellowshipping one with another. Amen. It's what we, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. There's a term that I've heard, I'm sure you've probably heard it as well, um, typically in reference to um, ships, airplanes, um, and, and often in reference to tragedy, but they talk about how many souls were on board. Uh, throughout the years, throughout my life, I've heard this reference and, you know, how many souls were on board. If there's a shipwreck, and the Titanic is clearly the most significant. And they talk about 1,800 souls were lost. And, and always this reference to souls. And not people, not persons, not lives. They do use lives more prominently now. It's people or lives. But growing up as a young person throughout my life, it was usually souls. Look at the, all the souls that were on this. How many souls are on this ship? How many souls are in this plane? There's a number of reasons why they made that distinction. I think they wanted a clear reference so that they would be able to distinguish without a lot of talking back and forth to determine exactly how many bodies, how many lives they needed to be able to account for or I'm sure there's a number of different reasons. I I don't really know. Um, I know on airplanes... You have passengers on the airplanes, 
but you also have crew. You have pilots. You could have a pilot from another airline in what they call the jump seat. This person is a person who can pretty much just walk up at the last moment, and if the jump seat's available, get on a plane to get from where they are to a city they need to get to to fly a plane from there. And so all the airlines share back and forth. It's a seat inside the cockpit that another pilot can come sit in. And I don't know. My father-in-law might know better than me. I don't know. He worked for the airlines for years. But I don't know that they have a record of that necessarily anywhere in terms of a ticket or any kind of a boarding pass or anything. Maybe they do or maybe they do now and haven't always. But they always had to make this distinction about souls on board because it encompassed everyone regardless Even today, if you want to fly on an airplane and you have a small child, they can sit on your lap. They don't get a ticket. They're not counted in the number of passengers necessarily. They don't have a meal provided for them. So there's a number of different reasons and a number of different potential classifications of the people that are on the board, on the ship, or on the plane. And so to make it easy in the the event of of an emergency, they have a separate designation that accounts for every single body. Sometimes they transport people that have passed away. And if there were an issue, they wouldn't want the rescue teams to find that body of that deceased individual and think, okay, there were 100 people on the plane. We've caught 100 bodies. We can stop looking. When this body had passed away already and was being transported. So they come up with a number and they call it souls on board. That's what they've always said. Throughout time, I guess they've, they've changed. Um, but the easy term was souls on board. And that's been changed. They've changed it now to persons on board. And there's a lot of differing opinions about why they may have switched. Uh, some say souls on board was used because it had a more serious connotation. It was more, um, you know, it was like it got your attention. How many people are over there? How many people are on this plane? A hundred. How many souls are on board? It was more serious. Uh, It drew more attention in a dire situation. Uh, There is a conjecture that the use of the word soul was due to the the eternal implication. That eternally, how many souls are there? I don't know. And then there's some say that it's no longer used due to the religious or spiritual implications or overtones. Uh, Some say it was a matter of political correctness. Apparently, the captains and pilots enjoyed saying how many SOBs they were transporting. But whatever the reason, it's been revised to POB, persons on board or people on board. As I was preparing to speak this evening, the thought of souls versus people or members or individuals kept weighing on my heart. It kept coming to my mind. In consideration of the members of our congregation and the idea that we have a responsibility to care for one another, to fellowship, to encourage, I couldn't get away from the thought that regardless of position, regardless of classification, well, he's the director of that. She's over that ministry. Well, this is just a small Sunday school child. Oh, he's the pastor. Regardless of position or classification, regardless of what we think about one another, well, I don't, I don't really spend any time with them. 
I don't really know anything about them. I don't really know who they are. I don't, I don't, I don't like to get involved too much. I don't want to really, you know, have to spend too much time finding out about what's going on in their life. Regardless of what we think or how we may hold one person on a pedestal or may consider another one to be less significant or less important, regardless of what classification we get to, to one another or how we feel about them, they are a soul. Every single one of us, every single person you pass in the hallway, every one of the people that call New Life Fellowship their church home, yes, I think it's wonderful that we get, the, that we get to say, yes, we we're running 700, we're running 800. That's fantastic. I wonder maybe if pastors should stop saying how many did you have in church on Sunday and start saying how many souls did you have in church on Sunday. It's different. It has a different feel. How many souls are here at New Life Fellowship? No matter what you think, no matter how you feel about that person, they're a soul. If you're part of the cleaning crew, part of the cleaning staff, every fingerprint on every glass door, every window, a soul put that there. If you're pulling into the parking lot on Sunday morning and there's a young man with a bright vest on and he's directing you into a parking spot and you would prefer to park closer to the door, I can appreciate that and maybe you need to park closer to the door, but don't forget that person is a soul. That Sunday school teacher that corrects your child and maybe you think they corrected your child too harshly or they didn't do it the right way, Maybe there needs to be instruction, but don't forget that Sunday school teacher is a soul. And that child, if you're a Sunday school teacher that hasn't been trained to sit quietly and behave in Sunday school, yeah, you can't just let them run wild. You can't let them do whatever, but that's a soul. Amen. That baby that makes noise during service and you can't hear what pastor just said, that's a soul. Their souls. I was thinking about the parable of the lost sheep in, in Luke and in Matthew. And I'm not going to read all the way through them, but I think it's interesting. Uh, if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountains and seek that one which has gone astray? And if he finds it, he says, he comes back and he rejoices more of that sheep than of the 99 that went not astray. And I've always looked at this parable, this story, in the context of the shepherd leaving and getting the lost sheep. And I never really thought about the fact that in this parable, that sheep was a part of that shepherd's herd before it was lost. The lost sheep was part of the herd. It wasn't a random sheep. He, it wasn't like, I have 99 sheep, I'd like to get another one, I'm going to go look for one that's lost. It was one of the sheep that was here. It was one of the souls that was in this building that repented and was baptized and received the gift of the Holy Ghost 
and then has gone astray. But it was a sheep that was already in the house. I've never really thought about it that way. I've always thought, you know, that's about the lost. But in fact, he left the 99 to find one of the flock. One that was already in. And so, this evening, as you can stand with me at this time, I just want to encourage you to consider that no matter what, I'm going to tell you, I, I don't know that this is unusual, but I have been being exercised in this concept all week. Someone pulls out in front of me and cuts me off. And I reach for the horn. And a voice in my mind says, is that a soul? Man. I asked you before we started this evening to look around. And to tell me, what did you see? Did you see a husband, a father, a child, a son, an employee, a driver, a Sunday school teacher, a worship leader, someone that walks around up here with a camera and videos for our online family? And what I would love to do tonight is to convince you that when you look around at the other people in this building that you come and worship with, that the thought be in your mind, that's a soul. That's a soul. It may be all those other things, and that's true. And yes, sometimes people do things that may frustrate us or irritate us or whatever, but that's a soul. I was thinking, um, I've, I've told you that your daughter... Mike and I have talked and I've said, you know, this is so awesome. I'm so excited about your story. I love stories. I love when Brother John Young came up and talked about his story. And I, I think that's great. And all of us have a story. And I would, I would tell Mike, this is so awesome what you're going through, that your daughter never has to see you maybe in a way that you used to behave before you met the Lord and how awesome that is. But Mike's not the only person that I've said that to. I've said that to some other people that have been here. Other people that have been a member of New Life Fellowship. Other people that used to call this their church family. People that didn't have custody of their children because of the way they lived. And they came and they turned their heart over to the Lord. And it changed their life. And they started doing right, and God started blessing them, and, and they started changing and got their kids back. And, and then somewhere along the way, something happened, and they have made a different decision, and they've left. And it breaks my heart that those souls have chosen not to be a part of new life, not to be a part of the body of Christ. And so I want to encourage you tonight, this is about souls This is about how many souls are here. I want you to fellowship because you can't go to someone that's turning and walking away and tell them they need to recommit their heart to God if they don't know who you are. 
if they don't know anything about you, if you don't know anything about them, you've got to have a relationship established with them so that you can then say, wait, no, don't leave, don't go. You've got to stay. Work out your difference. Get over your offense. It's not worth what you're going to lose. It's not worth what you're going to give up. We've got to be about outreach. There's no question. We've got to be reaching for the lost. But while we reach for the lost, we've also got to be reaching for those that are here in this building with us. You have no idea what they're going through. You have no idea that they may be feeling loneliness or rejection or depression or oppression. We have got to minister to one another. And yes, there is a healthy amount of that that goes on in this room. Absolutely no doubt. I'm so glad we're in a church that's vibrant and alive. But it goes beyond what we do on Sunday morning and Sunday night. And what, even what we do here on Wednesday night. We have got to develop relationship with one another. We've got to establish connections with one another. Because that's not just some person that sits across the aisle from you. It's a soul. It's a soul that's going to see eternity. Amen. And it's too important for us to be too busy or too selfish to not engage with one another, to not have connection, to not have fellowship. What do you do on Friday night? You're at a house, your house, and you're barbecuing, and you're talking. And we may talk about the Lord, but it may just be about what went on at work or the new car you bought or whatever. You're developing a relationship is what you're doing. You're, de- you're establishing a connection with someone so that hopefully if they start to go astray, like so many have before, I thought about calling out names of the people because it breaks my heart that they're not here. It breaks my heart that they've chosen to leave. And I'm, and I'm asking myself, could I have done something to help keep them from going? Is there something I could have said Is there something I could, could I have paid more attention? Could I have invited them over more? Could I have gone and done things with them? Could I have gone to their house and gotten in in their personal space and said, I love you and I care about you. We've got a fellowship. And, And you don't get to come into someone's house and get that close if you don't have a relationship, a connection with them already. Amen. 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 Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the incredible body of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the, for the congregation that we are so privileged to be a part of. What a fantastic organization, incredible leadership, incredible execution that we get to partake of and be blessed by and benefit from every week. Lord, I ask you, God, that you would speak to the heart of each one that's here tonight, each one that will hear my voice, that we have to develop connection, that we have to continue to reach for the souls of those that we attend church with. I ask you, God, that that you would minister, that you would bless. I ask you to keep us as we each go our separate way. Bring us back together on Thursday evening or Friday evening or Saturday evening for some fellowship. Amen. And then to church on Sunday. Amen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you.